Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is Christopher Menning, your host of On The Bad Bar Podcast, and I hope you're all doing well. I had a little bit of a break because, uh, well, work is pretty good over in Thailand. We've um, we've gone back to normality, bars are open again, uh, and people are going out and partying. So uh, for me, with a lot of the work I do with the brands and, and consulting, uh, things are full on. But don't worry, um, I am back. We've got a wonderful guest today, uh, Vivian, who is uh, a really incredible woman who's who'd had a long long career uh, in the culinary world and uh, now into the beverage world where her base in Singapore um, she does a lot of work with the 50 best awards as a senior academy chair and she's also one of the founding board members of the Singapore Cocktail Bar Association so um, yeah it was really cool to hear about her journey and also about some of the insights from the industry uh, and, and what she feels that is needed to move forward uh, so yeah, enough babble from me, guys. Uh, really hope you're well and uh, enjoy this show. Benjamin Franklin once said, "In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here." This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Vivian, thank you so much for coming on the Back Bar podcast. Uh, How are you doing? How was your week? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, yes, uh, it's been a, it's been really quite a week, um, but as I always say, it, it is better to be uh, busy than bored. So I'm definitely not bored at the moment. Good, good to hear. Mm-hmm. And how is Singapore? Singapore, you know, we're doing uh, we're doing pretty well. I mean, I, given given the state of the situation uh, in other markets. Um, you know, Singapore has been effectively open since uh, phase two, so that's sort of end of June. And uh, we are open with restrictions, yes, but we have been open. So um, I think that was that was the difference with the different markets. When I'm looking now at the States and in Europe, uh, I feel bad for those markets, of course, but then they also had nice sort of holidays uh, during the summer. <laughs> And early mm. autumn. So, so those are the things that you know. I haven't moved. I, this it's actually been exactly a year since I was last in an airplane, or just I think last a few days ago was a year anniversary of when I was oh, last okay. in an airplane. Which, which for me, um, you know, to not have been in an airplane for a year, it's, I think it might be the first time in a in, in decades actually. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah. So, so the so the trade off that we've had for not being able to go anywhere is that everybody is pretty much open, uh, business is going. You know, some better than others, but overall, uh, and it and also I would I would have to give a shout out to the government here who has been very supportive of the industry. Um, yeah. So, so I think overall we're we're in a fairly good position. I mean, there are still things that need to be moved on. You know, we have. Um, a restriction on timing. All the alcohol has to be off the table at ten thirty, for example. I think that's problematic mm. for for our industry uh, and and certain types of bars that are here uh, are probably struggling. The ones who are known for more for late nights, um, you know, business. But uh, yeah, at least at least I would say ninety five percent of the places are open. Good, good. Mm. Have you seen um, an impact from? the lack of tourism in Singapore. I don't know how strong the tourism industry was there, but but it must yeah. be um must be a lot quieter. Yeah, yeah. I mean tourism is is a huge part of um Singapore and and in fact the Singapore Tourism Board STP has uh, invested lots of money uh in, in putting Singapore on the map uh for global tourism. So certainly that has made a, a big impact, I think um 
particularly for the hotels are struggling on that front. Um, you know, the thing about restaurants and bars is the people, the, the, the locals who maybe would have been traveling elsewhere are stuck here. So they still will go out and eat and drink. Um, and that's why, and I think especially you will see a, a certain population, a very wealthy population here, they still want to spend their money. So if you look at some of the, the really high-end places, you know, Odette, for example, it, you know, the three Michelin star restaurant by, uh, by my buddy, uh, Chef Julien, that's, I think that's booked out months in advance. You know, it's very difficult to even get into that uh, restaurant mm. at the moment. Um, but hotels, I think, are still struggling. I mean, they, they did a whole bunch of, uh, uh, there are some of them who did the whole stay home uh, the quarantine, they became sort of quarantine hotels for a while. And then now there are a bunch that have, have been doing uh, staycations. So, so that is something that is becoming obviously a new market that was not around before, not to the extent that it, that it was previously. Uh, but I still think probably it's still not to the levels that it used to be, certainly. So I think hotels definitely have been impacted. Um, and then you know, just overall, I think a lot of uh, tourist attractions are probably also, you know, I think a lot of the locals will, maybe will not be doing so much of the Universal Studios and the, some of those things. I think uh, some of the casinos possibly, the, I think they're probably hurting as well. Uh, but yeah, so definitely you, you, you do see a difference. Um, although, like I said, since, since things opened up, and I would say especially in the last few months, uh, places do feel busier overall when you go out. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. And, um, mm. yeah, I can, I can really understand a lot of the past staycations, um, definitely been working in Thailand, actually, uh, a lot mm. of hotels are sort of surviving on that, but yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. Well, well, in I Thailand, think, you can um, still travel, you can still travel domestically, right? I mean, that's the difference. I mean, I was just yes, talking to, true. To, to, to Philip Bischoff and he's, um, He's doing. A, he's oh, going to yeah. do a lovely little little jaunt down to Phuket uh, with this with his family, and um, and I'm supremely envious because I can go about as far as Sentosa, which is 20 minutes away. <laughs> yeah, I saw him two days ago. He mentioned about yeah. it. I mean, we're quite lucky yeah. because uh, yeah. yeah, the the beaches are on our doorsteps. Um, mm -hmm. But actually, um, yeah. those places like Phuket, they're they're like mm -hmm. ghost towns. No one there I can, at all, unfortunately. I, I, I imagine actually that it, it is they must have been extremely hardly hit, you know, Phuket mm. and then, you know, places like Bali and those places which survive largely on tourism, probably really suffering. Mm. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, look, I think it's um, going to be a really interesting conversation going forward because mm. now we can focus on you. <laughs> and um, I, I'm really interested because mm. I, I was sort of, I did my research as I always do. And um, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal, your journey. You've lived all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, you've, been involved in many different aspects of culinary uh, and drinks um, mm -hmm. business and I think mm -hmm. it'd be great to I guess start off with your origin story if if okay. you'd like. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, hey. sure. Um, I'm, I was actually, so I'm actually a Chinese American. I was born in San Francisco and I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, and I have been in the hospitality business since I was basically four. That's when my dad opened a restaurant. Um, wow, so, okay. um, so I've always been in that world, uh, growing up and at the age of eight, I pretty much was, you know, in charge of the house and taking care of my brother while my parents worked at the restaurant. So one of the original latchkey kids. And then, um, not, and, and as many kids do in the States, uh, not too long after I started working. So I think I was around unofficially 12 and officially 14 when I started working in the restaurant. So I started busing tables and hostessing and stuff like that. And eventually, you know, waited tables. Um, and that was just, you know, something that was pretty normal. And, um, and I honestly think it was an amazing uh, educational experience. And I would, and I have to, I call them my small people. I have two kids uh, who I would, you know, in a heartbeat, as soon as they're old enough, I will definitely send them uh, you know, the plan originally was to send them to a family's restaurant in the States, but uh, travel there may be curtailed for a while. So uh, I, I would like to, but I, I think F&B, uh, front of house especially, I think is great trading for how to deal with people uh, and, and learning all that. And, and also, you know, just some good old hard work, you know. Uh, so, so that's kind of how I grew up. And then um, 
but my parents were immigrants and they were not keen on me continuing in the industry. They wanted me to, you know, their whole point of going to the States and working hard was to give their kids a better life. So they pushed me in towards academia and I, and I was a, I was a good girl. I was a, a very good student. So I went to, off to university and, um, uh, although I still worked, you know, in a restaurant on the side then because I was, I liked having money, but, uh, I didn't, they, they didn't let me work in their restaurant. Um, so I went off and found another job, much to their dismay. Uh, but anyway, I still kept up with my studies. I graduated and then I started working around the world. And then I just carried on in the corporate world for quite a number of years. Yeah, uh, and that brought me sort of, that and the love of uh, languages and new cultures brought me sort of from, from the St. Louis to Paris, Paris to Tokyo. Tokyo to Singapore the first time. Then I ended up going to London to do my MBA at London Business School, worked there a bit more. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually the corporate world was, was interesting and I learned a lot, but I realized eventually when I got to London that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really where my heart was and I needed to, to do something that I was really passionate about. And so that's when I quit the corporate world um, and uh, just started doing food. And, and when I say doing food, it was really as simple as just catering and uh, giving cooking lessons from my flat in London. And uh, at the beginning, it was just word of mouth through friends and then eventually I built up a business. And then through contacts, actually through my MBA contacts, funnily enough, I met a lady named Anne Willen who had a chateau in Burgundy and she's a prolific uh, cookbook author. and. Um, she happened also be working on a very big cookbook at the time and we got along. So I went down basically at that time, I went to Burgundy every month and I would go for about two weeks a month, uh, a month. So yeah. So every month I'd go back and forth between London and Burgundy that went on for about a year and a half. And during that time, when I was in Burgundy, I would either be working on the book and that's where I really learned all about editorial and how to write a cookbook and how to test recipes and research and, you know, learn about photography and all this other stuff. And then um, she also ran gourmet holiday programs out of the Chateau. So I would cook for the, for the guests there and, and manage that. And, you know, that was another angle of hospitality, managing these guests who were coming from overseas and had different expectations. Uh, I would translate because uh, I spoke fluent French at that point. So I'd translate for the visiting chefs who were giving demos. And then through her, I also got to uh, had some uh, amazing opportunities to work in Michelin star restaurants, one in Paris, one in Burgundy, where the majority of my professional, I would say, cooking experience was in those places. I learned huge amounts. So, yeah, so that was really where it, it all kind of came together. So that that's where my... Um, that's where I moved because my previous experience in hospitality in hospitality was front of house. And I'd done pretty much every job front of house. And, I, and then when I came to this, this point in time, I did uh, pretty much all the jobs back of house. So I, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I know I've done every single job in a restaurant or front of back. I've even bartended in the past. Um, so um, yeah, I, I have a very good understanding of how all the different bits work and how they work together. Uh, yeah, and then eventually I decided that uh, my then husband and I said we decided we wanted to start a family, but we didn't want to do it in London. And uh, Asia was taking off and we still had actually we still had a business here, which is unrelated to F&B. And so we decided to come back to Singapore. And that's how we ended up here again. And that was that was 15 years ago, by the way. <laughs> Wow, fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, okay. this is my fifteenth. Yeah, this is this month is my fifteenth year anniversary. Brilliant. Hmm. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, what a journey for sure. Mm, mm. And I mean, in in those fifteen years, that must have been the sort of start where the cocktail culture was was booming, right? So you've seen it develop and. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say I, when I got here, there was almost nothing in that regard. Um, the restaurants have always been here, I think, to a certain extent. And there were some bars, not that there weren't any, but, uh, uh, you know, probably a few years after I got here, um, I did start, you know, going out and sort of post-children, uh, started going out a bit more. And, um, you know, there were, you know, the Martini Bar at the Hyatt was there and is still there. And I think it'll probably be there forever. Um, I, there was uh, a couple of places um, that were very old school. Uh, there was um, Nectar, which is no longer 
around. Uh, Tipling Club was actually one of the earliest ones, actually, uh, but they were still primarily a restaurant first. Uh, and then um, there's a couple more. There's Coffee Barquet and Clee Club. And so uh, pretty much most of those are not around anymore. But um, if you're really talking about real, real craft co cocktail culture, yeah, I would say 10 years, just a little over 10 years ago, it started. And so, yes, I have been able to see the really meteoric rise of, of the Singapore cocktail market. It's been, it's been quite something. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my audience are actually based in, um, in the States or, or mm -hmm. Europe. So mm -hmm. would you be able to give us a rundown about Singapore, uh, the cocktail scene right now and some of the bars that are leading the way and I guess your general yeah. overview of what it's like there? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I think one of the interesting things about the market here is because it was so new that when it started out, um, I, I mean, I call, I call, I know that Tipling was there first, but I call um, 28 Hong Kong Street the granddaddy of the, the cocktail club, cocktail bars here because they were really the first actual, you know, fully focused sort of craft cocktail bar. Um, and um, they really, I think, brought to life uh, this interest. They, 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 they sort of created a whole interest around craft spirits and, and obviously now have built a huge business off of that. Um, so they kind of kicked it off for me. Um, and But the thing is, there are a lot of people who followed very shortly thereafter and, you know, Jigger and Pony followed not long thereafter, for example. Uh, but the interesting thing, because it was such a new market, I think there were no rules. So, I think the interesting thing in Singapore is that there's such a variety now of bars that I think you would be hard pressed to find anywhere else. In a market that is actually quite small, when you look at the population, uh, the number of bars now, I mean, just, just you know, having be, ha, ha, as, as part of an exercise we did with the Singapore Cocktail Bar Association, which we can talk about later, we now have, as members, we have about 60 craft cocktail bars. And these are really, I think, you know, top, all top notch. They could all, you know, they're all, they all have fantastic drinks programs and, you know, great people at the helm and, and they understand hospitality and all this. But if you look at the, the variety, they're all, they're so different. And I think that's fantastic. You really, you don't like this one. That's okay. There's, you try the other one. You do like a New York style bar. Okay. You could probably try 28 or maybe, you know, Manhattan. Uh, or you don't like hotel bars. Okay. You can go super independent. You can go to Assam's cold drink stall, or you can go to Nutmeg and Club. Okay, well, you don't want the Asian influence, you want really Western. Okay, well then, you know, you've got, and then you just keep carrying on. There's, there's just such a breadth uh, of variety here that I think that makes it super interesting. Um, and you have, uh, you know, and, and all this was created within the last 10 years. So I think that that is, that is you know, impressive. Um, and, and in a very short, in that very short time also, if you look at just, you know, obviously I, I do some work with the world's 50 best, you know, the, 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 with the, the previous list, it was always pretty much London and New York were the big winners with a few outliers, maybe, you know, a couple from Western US, from San Francisco or LA, and you might've gotten one or two from a Paris or, a, or somewhere else in Europe, you know, but, um, Asia ha is now dominating uh, quite heavily, and I think Singapore is in the third most bars on the list. And certainly per capita, is probably the, the 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 number one. If you're talking about per capita, definitely number one. Um, yeah, there's there's the yeah, <laughs> you know, so, you're so spoiled that, choice, really, aren't you? We're, we're really we're really spoiled. But you know, it's it's been great to see that the rest of Asia is also really really picked up as well. There's so much going on in this part of the world that I think it's, it's just, it's fantastic. I'm a, I mean, I always say that, um, I think that the Singapore Tourism Board should pay me for, for being an unofficial ambassador every time I go abroad. But I also <laughs> am a champion for Asia in general, because I think we, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this part of the world. And I just want better representation. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned about the Singapore Cocktail Bar Association because mm -hmm. you are a founding board member. Mm -hmm. um, 
that was quite recent as well, if I believe the yes, last sort yes. of year or so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Can you tell us more about that? And yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just coming up two years soon. Basically, uh, it started because when the lockdown first happened here, we weren't really sure how long it was. No, no one knew how long it was going to last or how big this was going to be. And I think the first couple of weeks of lockdown, people just kind of thought, ah, oh, we'll just kind of ride this out. It's, it'll be a couple of weeks and then we'll be back. But after two, three weeks passed, I think people started realizing it's not just going to be two or three weeks. And I was having a conversation with Boyi, who's the one of the co-founders of Jigger and Pony. And uh, we just started thinking, gosh, you know, if this carries on, the industry is going to be hit bad. We need to figure out how what we can do to help the industry out. So we just started chatting at that point. That was probably beginning of April last year. And then very and, and then within the next couple of weeks, we realized, yes, this is definitely not something that's going to end soon. And we had to do something. And then so we quickly uh, got on board. We had Ivy from uh, Food News PR, who runs Singapore Cocktail Festival, uh, amongst other things. And then uh, we also um, recruited uh, Paul Gaby from 28 uh, Hong Kong Street and the Proof, Proof & Co. And then also Andrea from mm. The Old Man. And we just figure out that we need to be able to support the industry during this time. The interesting thing is prior to even to this, we had said actually that we felt that craft cocktail bars should be under a different category and have a different license than a restaurant, of course, but also not, it shouldn't be under the general nightlife license, which is what governs things like nightclubs, karaoke, you know, all this, which is, Again, a very different animal, I think, than for us, craft cocktail bars are about quality, about um, there's lots of room for education. Um, it's about, you know, the whole experience, which I think is a very different experience than what you get in a nightclub or, or something like that. So at that, we had already been discussing this. So we thought this would be a good opportunity to create this organization, which would number one, support the industry during a difficult time, but on a, on a longer term, really to just improve, promote craft cocktail culture in Singapore and to try and, you know, educate people and to try and re uh, recruit people into this industry uh, and to show people that it is a viable career. Um, you know, F&B in, in, in Asia and in Singapore in particular is not always seen as a viable career by parents who want their kids to go to university and do white collar jobs, right? They think, oh, this is beneath them or whatever. And in fact, absolutely not. I mean, the opportunities you can get is quite incredible these days. Um, so yeah, so it was a combination of those things. And then, so we, we managed to uh, quite quickly get this association off the ground. It is an actual listed company. It, it's actually a registered company, but with a limited liability. And then we, we're able also then to very quickly get on board a lot of the brand, you know, pretty much all the major brands to help sponsor. And then off the back of that, sp spoke to the government who mm -hmm. then uh, agreed to match our funding, either at 50% or 100%, depending on the funds. So yeah, so I mean, we, re we've, we managed to raise um, or to get pledges to raise quite a large chunk of money so then after that, what it's been since then is just the rollout of how to implement this. So that always takes longer than you would hope, <laughs> especially when dealing with, with government. And this is the first time for anyone doing this kind of thing. So it's a lot of learning as we go and figuring it out. But, you know, what we have, I think, managed to do is to have this organization that is now uh, a thing that people can, can look to for information. It's a resource. Um, we have been uh, distributing funds to, so the first round of funding was for individuals. And, and the big part about that for me was that it helps people who are not Singaporeans, because I think everyone will agree with me that the Singapore cocktail community would not be what it is without the uh, experience, knowledge of, and hard work of people who came into the market. You know, we have all sorts of expats. We have loads of Filipinos, Italians, Australians, whatever. And all these people brought, you know, their experience, their uh, passion to the party and have made 
Singapore cocktail scene what it is today. And but unfortunately, because they're not Singaporean, they were not getting support for the government. And so one of the big things for me about not being Singaporean, I'm PR now, I'm permanent resident now, but not being Singaporean, one of the big things for me was to make sure that these people were somehow, you know, given some support and that we could tell them, look, you know, as much as we can, we will try to support you. Uh, so yeah, so that that was that was a uh, one one point there, and so now we're going on to round two, round three funding, which is supporting the businesses. Round two is about is about rental relief because, like I said, the government's been very good about they did support on rental relief for quite some time, but that's done now. So I think now people are going to start feeling it, and so what we're saying is we do have some funds for rental relief, if, and we will prioritize new business people who are um running 12 months or less as of april 2020 uh because we feel like new businesses are at most at risk so uh and then and then the next round will be people who have suffered at least 35 percent uh, impact on their bottom line and uh you know so so with those groups if you apply and are eligible then you will get up to one month's well, up to 20,000 sing of rental relief, depending on, you know, what, what your rent is. Um, so, and then the round three is open to all of our members, which is that everyone is eligible for a thousand dollars sort of credit, if you will, to help towards any kind of marketing. So it could be photography, food styling, a PR agency, social media, whatever. Uh, they're all eligible as long as they apply and, you know, submit the receipts and all the stuff. And, then, you know, it's just, again, to help because people during the time that they were closed were able to come up with new menus, but also people want to communicate how they are, you know, their new safety measures and all this, their, their, their offerings, all this stuff like that. So that's what that third fund is for. So, and then on an ongoing basis, we've done every, mm, every couple months or so, we've been doing an industry talks. So the most recent one was, um, about a month ago uh, and that was about operational excellence uh, and the next one is coming up next month is about bar economics so we're trying to make it very practical and useful information for people to to, to take away with uh, and then you know that's going to be ongoing that's ongoing we've got stuff coming we've got a whole plan for the year of, of uh, topics um, and we just we just you know we want to be a resource we want people to be able to benefit from the stuff that we're doing and there's more. There's it's, more, but it's too much. I can't get into all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. It's um, no. I think it's fantastic work, and um, mm. I'm really happy to hear that that the government got involved. Firstly, mm -hmm. that that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And it's also good to hear that you're looking after the expats that come into Singapore. Um, yeah. I think you're right. Um, being an expat in Thailand, I, I yeah. do feel some of those pains too. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, for the audience that mm -hmm. are listening, um, how can they? How can you see some of the stuff that you're doing? And uh, is there a website or is it on social media? So Singapore Cocktail Bar Association has a website, indeed. Um, it's uh, unfortunately it's not the shortest name, but it's okay. It's single. It is it is sgcocktailbaraassociation.org. O R G. But if you just Google Singapore Cocktail Bar Association, it'll come up. Um, so yeah. So on there, what you will see is our fund, um, the COVID relief funds, and then you also see who all our members are um, and all our sponsors, all our lovely, lovely sponsors. Uh, and then, you know, just any of our events or activities. And um, yeah, so there's other things that are becoming up. So if you just get on that website, you will see everything that's happening. We are also on Instagram under SG Cocktail Bar Association and, face mm -hmm. and Facebook as well. So there you go. Yeah, good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. So, um, what's um? I mean, I guess we're all waiting for tourism to come back, mm. and it could be a case of like a, a vaccine passport, which might be the likelihood mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of it going back to some sort of normality. But what do you think is next for for Singapore um, as sort of uh, a sort of food and beverage mecca? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's pretty much. Do you think it's hit the peak, or is there more that needs to be done, or is there? You know, anything exciting coming up ahead? I know that's quite a broad question, so <laughs> take that as you want. But, yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, um, I mean, I hope you're right. And I, 
God, I miss traveling. Uh, but um, I also am trying to manage my expectations and think that 2021 may also be fairly, you know, low key on that front um, because I don't want to get myself worked up. Last last year when Singapore announced a travel bubble with Hong Kong, I got a bit too excited and booked a flight. Uh, one, of the, one of the earlier flights, and unfortunately that didn't work out. So I'm trying to manage my expectations. And they are, of course, talking with um, Taiwan and Australia, New Zealand, uh, for, and Japan even as a travel bubble destinations. Um, so so that, that, that's, that's in, in, in discussion right now. But again, like I said, I'm not, I'm trying not to count on that personally. And even from a professional point, viewpoint as well, that's just not going to bring in enough at the beginning. But I think the interesting thing right now is because everyone has been here and has been stuck here, um, people are realizing that there is a captive audience here. There, like I said before, there are a lot of people here who have a lot of money. So you, you have that one sort of audience that is captive and they cannot at the moment go anywhere uh, to spend it. So one of the things I've been telling people sort of, you know, just when I've been talking to some of my, my cohorts in F&B, I've just been saying, you know, if you can deliver an experience that is above and beyond, people will pay for it. You know, you have a certain population that will be happy to pay for it. Um, so, so there's an aspect of looking at your offering. I think that a lot of people are doing. And, and like I said, I think the high-end places actually are doing quite well. Yeah. I think the other thing is, I think people are rediscovering that, I, and I have said several times, Singapore is very small and it is compared to other places, but there's still a lot here on offer that people don't know about. Even as someone who's lived here for 15 years, I am discovering things. There are new neighborhoods I haven't really been, you know, I haven't been too much. Um, there's still parts of Singapore that I actually really haven't been to for whatever reason. And, and I'm just realizing like, oh, okay, I can actually, take a little bum boat there and, and do a nice bike ride. And it's, you know, I mean, Singapore nature will still be lacking compared to some places, but there is still something there. Um, there are farms here. They're not, again, they're not, you know, comparable to some other places, but there are farms here. There are things that you can look at and there, there are options. So I think people are now looking at how they can uh, spin that around and look at Singapore as a destination and, and, and focus a bit more inward which I think is good. I think it's good. Um, so I think, I think that is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, you have uh, people who are doing, you know, urban farming and, and so, and, and that, you know, meshes obviously very well with some of the F and B offerings. So I know now people are doing collaborations on that front. Um, and just, and, and the thing that I've really liked seeing in the last six months in particular, is uh, industry supporting industry here. So for example, uh, Atlas at one point last year, they are doing a whole series of Martini Mondays. People can't travel to do guest shifts anymore, but what Atlas did was bring a bar from a, diff a different bar each week to come in and do, you know, a little sort of Martini showdown. So the, the visiting bar would do what would offer a, two or three of their drinks, including definitely one Martini, and then Atlas would have theirs. Uh, and it was sponsored, you know, again, Thanks to brands who are sponsoring this, uh, you're able to keep the price very reasonable. You got a drink and then you got a snack and, you know, so that made actually Monday something to look forward to. And, and they did that every week for, for months. I think I only missed one of them. So I had, I had very hectic Mondays for a while. Um, and then, uh, and then now, you know, you have like, for example, Mo Bar at Mandarin Oriental, their, their most recent bar menu is, is, is an incredible journey around Asia because they weren't able to do it uh, in person. So they did a lot of collaboration virtually and are able to bring uh, drinks from some of the other places to Singapore. So, you know, I think it's like bringing the world to Singapore is one theme. Um, supporting each other, I think it's another one. Um, and, and that's still going on, you know, No Sleep Club. They're doing uh, restaurant and bar collaboration. So No Sleep Club just did a, a, a collaboration with Restaurant Zen that I went to this week. So that's under the guise of Michelin. But then very soon, I know Manhattan's doing a, a, they have a whole Friends of Manhattan series, which has traditionally been bars, but now they're doing with, uh, some of the, the nicer restaurants in town, they're bringing the chef in to do a cocktail and dinner pairing. So I'll be going to that. I think it's in about 10 days. I have to double check the dates, a week. 
maybe a week. Nice. Okay. I think it's next week. So, you know, so, so these kind of collaborations that are within, I think it's going to be happening at least for this year, because I honestly don't think there's going to be a lot of travel this, this year. And I think that, mm, for that sure. you know, now people are sort of used to this idea. I think, I think that just looking at the, what Singapore has to offer, I think is, is, is a good thing. I think, you know, we've all been very lucky to travel as much as we did. But maybe that that is one of the reasons why we're having so many problems now. So we have to say we have to realize, oh, actually, you know, I have friends who used to travel every week in the corporate world for business. And yet somehow they still survive. They haven't gone anywhere in a year. They're still managing to do business. So you, you have to ask us, we have to ask ourselves, did we need to do some of these things, some of these trips? Probably not. Um, so yeah, it's really hmm. I think yeah. it's really getting people to have a good look at you know, what we can do ourselves uh, to, to improve the situation and then looking outward at, uh, you know, how to support the industry and then just be clever, just, ha just open your mind up. Well, can't travel, let's try this. Oh, that's someone I never would have collaborated with before, but okay, you know, I know some chefs who are doing who are doing, uh, there's a brand here, local brand here called Supermama who does some really nice tableware. They got some chefs to do a little collaboration where the uh, the chef series where they design plates. So my friend Will and Lau did a play. LG Han from Labrys did a play. You know, so there's just a lot of things if you just open your mind up. There's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, very insightful. Mm, um, mm. Well, I mean, I'm very jealous about all this stuff that's going on in Singapore. I mean, mm. we've got good stuff in Bangkok, mm -hmm. but uh, especially Manhattan and the chef pairing, I'd love to go to that. So yeah, yeah let me know how it's yeah, like. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just a, a few more topics mm -hmm. before I let you go for the of day. Um, I'd like to talk about the uh, 50 best yep. and uh, some of the work you do with them, mm -hmm. because this year we've got the first edition of the the 51 to 100 mm -hmm, list right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. correct yes yeah so yes. Uh, what are your predictions maybe or like um mm. how involved were you in this i don't i don't do predictions i never do predictions but um <laughs> okay yeah i don't do predictions but what i will say is um uh, so for those who don't know my role with uh, 50 best is that uh, i'm i'm academy chair for asia which means I help to curate the voter panel, um, and uh, I am now. I've now been doing it long enough that they, they they recently were very kind to to call me to now call me senior academy chair. I think that just means I'm old, but anyway, um, <laughs> senior academy chair. Um, and whilst I was doing it, the job sort of solo the last few years. This year, I'm very happy to have on board some very very uh, cool and capable people. So I've got like Holly Graham and uh, who's based in Hong Kong. She'll be looking after, she's looking after Hong Kong, Taiwan, and mm -hmm. I think it's Korea. I can't remember now. I have to double check. And then uh, Priyanka um, Bla, who's in India, looking after that market. And then uh, Nick, Nick Caldecott in Japan. So that, that helps me, you know, divide my workload, which I'm great, very grateful for. Uh, but also it's just nice to have other people to bounce off of uh, when it comes to some of these things where, when you're operating in a vacuum, I would say it's not always healthy. Um, but I, what, what, what we try to do is really, when we say curate a voter panel, it's really trying to come up with people who will do, um, you know, who'll do the job right and honorably. Uh, one of the big caveats is that it has to be completely anonymous, which really, what wasn't the case when I first was uh, was brought on board that people were announcing after they voted, oh, you know, thank you for allowing me to be on the panel. And I just, I'm just thought, oh, that's just not really on. I feel these, I come from very old school. Like when I used to review restaurants, I, really old school where you just, you pay for your meals and it's all anonymous. And that's the way it should be, in my opinion, um, to be truly objective. Um, so, so that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is really just to get a good representation of people who, who, who vote, it's not just, it shouldn't just be bartenders. It shouldn't just be brand people. Uh, so now we have in the mix, uh, I think over the last couple of years, we've been able to come up with a good mix of bartenders, brand people, uh, media, but also the very forgotten, but very important consumer. Um, and, and I'm not talking about just any, you know, consumer who doesn't know much. I'm talking about a consumer who is uh, whatever you want to call them, connoisseur, aficionado, but who knows their drink, uh, uh, who appreciates quality 
uh, and who will who is happy to pay for it? Because a lot of these people, let's remember, uh, especially prior to COVID, they're the ones who are actually in the corporate world. They're often traveling around for their job already. And so they actually get more exposure to a lot of these places than the average bartender, for example, is probably working too hard and doesn't make enough money to travel as much as some of these guys do. So their exposure to what is available outside of their own market is gonna be limited. Nothing wrong with that on the one hand, but also when you're looking at a regional or regional or global vote, you do need people who have exposure to different markets. So, so that's what the, you know, these guys bring to the party. Um, so I think now we have a, quite a nice, uh, well-rounded, I mean, it's always a work in progress. Um, in the last year, couple of years, it's also about trying to uh, get gender parity where it makes sense. I've never believed in appointing someone purely on the basis of sex or race. I think that's also, you know, I'm, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast. I think it's bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's total bullshit. I mean, I grew, I grew up as a Chinese American in the Midwest in the 70s and 80s, and I got bullied mercilessly. But I am completely against affirmative action. Okay, you have to earn your way, no matter what. All right. But but what we're trying to do is not to give people an uneven, unfair advantage. What we're trying to do is get people on parity. So at least you're even being considered in the same breath as someone else, you know, who is who is who is a different gender or a different, you know, race. Um, so and that's what I do. That's the stuff I do with Speed Rack, for example. Speed Rack is a female speed bartending competition. And some people will say, why do you have to have female bartending competitions? It's because they're underrepresented in the industry. They haven't been given a fair shot. So it's about getting people to parity, to equal standing. It's not about giving unfair advantage to people purely on the basis of race or sex. Um, so I believe very much in those things. Um, so, and I think the list, our, our, our voter panel now is getting getting to that point uh, where we're, uh, we're, we're getting to gender parity for, you know, in a good way. And, uh, and also uh, as far as, you know, the representation from the different categories that I mentioned, I think we're, we're getting there. So as far as 51 to 100, that is a new thing because of what's happened in the last year. Um, you, you, it may very well be that the very, there are a few uh, names at that top that seem to turn around the same, you know, dozen or so. And, and rightly so, I think, for the most part. But we wanted to give people exposure to perhaps up-and-comers who may not be able to make that top 50, but who are very worthy and, you know, need the support and, and, and you know, are, are there to be discovered. And so it's really about, about that, I think, is to help people discover some, some new gems. Good, mm. good. Well, mm. I, I think I can say for everyone, we're quite looking forward to seeing who's on the list. Mm. Um, you know, especially for me, having lived in Asia for well, not as long as you, three years, but yeah. Um, yeah. I do know there are some some really, uh, you know, uh, hidden gems mm. that, that deserve mention. Definitely. So, yeah, it should be good. Mm. So, I mean, uh, we'll wrap up soon, mm -hmm. Vivian. Once again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I just wanted to ask maybe about your drinking choice. Mm -hmm. What do you normally drink at home? What's your tipple? Um, this is the, this is the, this is gonna, uh, it's quite interesting. I actually don't drink at home. Uh, I have, I have, an, oh, okay. I have an amazing collection of alcohol, uh, because over the years I collect things and people have given me things. And, uh, for me, drinking is a social activity and I drink with people. Yeah. Uh, okay. I love the social aspect of it. And that, that's the most interesting thing to me. Um, so during lockdown last year, I actually drank very little. The only times I drank was when we got on a few big Zoom parties and, and, and did it that way. But otherwise, I'll be honest, I don't drink at home. I think, you know, I think uh, that's my way of balancing uh, when I do drink outside. Um, but when I have friends over, I will drink. You know, when I have people, when I'm entertaining, I certainly will, you know, I'll open the bar and, and people are welcome to help themselves. Um, I always like to start with some champagne. I am partial. I spend a lot of time in France. I'm very partial to the bubble. Um, and that's, that's always, mm, that's okay. always welcome in my book. Um, and then beyond that, I think it just really depends on the temperature, your mood, um, you know, what spirit you feel like if, if I, if all else fails, I gravitate these days to agave. I, I love mezcal and tequila. And, um, I think, um, 
it suits me uh, and, and the drinks that I like in that category, you know, I'm very, I think most people know I'm very good buddies with Julio Bermejo from Tommy's Mexican restaurant. And, you know, a mezcal Tommy's margarita is my often my go-to when I'm starting out the night. And then, uh, and then go moving on. It depends. But, you know, when I, when I go to different bars, I'm always happy to drink whatever people want to make me. Cause some people say, Oh, I want you to try this. Happy to happy to try that. Absolutely. Uh, but then, you know, towards the end of the night, I like to have, you know, I, I partial to uh, a mezcal last word, a mezcal Negroni, you know, these are all things I, I gravitate to if I, if I can't think of anything else. Yeah. Those are, mm. I, I definitely these days okay. stay sort of in the agave world. I love everything. I really enjoy other, other spirits, but these are the ones I tend to gravitate towards. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm the same actually. Agave sort of, um, taken over a bit in terms of my drinking style these days yeah. funny funny well funny <laughs> but, um, when i think that for 50, okay. about 15 years I, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole because of horrible i think like most people right the horrible you know uni experience where you were violently ill on it or, or something and or and you probably drank really horrible cheap mixed whatever uh that, mm-hmm. that, that puts a lot of people off but you know the quality of it if you get a good quality you know you, even if you just stick with a tequila blanco i mean it's fantastic stuff but but yeah, the, the the selection we can get in Singapore these days is pretty decent. So I'm I'm very grateful for that. Mm. Good. Um, one more mm-hmm. question, which just I kind of just yeah, thought sure. of. Um, so the li- the fifty one to one hundred mm. list comes out at the end of this month or April. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those who, uh, for the bars who don't get onto mm. the list and maybe a bit forlorn or or wondering mm. why, can you maybe um recommend some indicators that place bars on the list so that maybe for next time the bars that don't get onto there can you know work mm-hmm. on or something but like what are the the key uh, sort of defining factors that end up getting yeah. people on the list I, I get asked this a lot and I'll, I'll be really honest there's no one one mm. formula and again if you look like even if you just take Singapore on the market as a uh, market as an example and you look at the bars from Singapore who are on the list on the, let, let's just use last year's list, for example. I mean, okay, it's such a variety. You have, you, of course, you have Atlas, which is a beautiful, stunning space, and, you know, they have a great drinks program. But then you also have, you know, uh, little, little native, and I say little but just because of the size, little native, um, which is, you know, hyper-local, run by, you know, VJ and team who are, and it's espousing only Asian uh, everything. Um, from from not just the the drinks program, but the playlists and the and the aprons and whatnot. And then you have you have places like um, you know Manhattan, which is a which really I think just raised the bar in hotel hotel bars because before that in in Asia at least hotel bars were usually fairly tacky uh, affairs. Um, and then you have like so and then and then um, these guys were uh, a number I think they were ones to watch last year. No Sleep Club. Uh, again, another totally different style, very casual, uh, all day. Uh, they have, you know, really nice food. They have, a, it's, it's a fairly small menu, but everything they do, they do super well. So I, 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 I hesitate to say that there's one, um, you know, one way about it. Um, but, uh, I, I think this is going to sound super, super cheesy, but I think honestly, the people who run it, you really have to have heart. If you're running a bar and all you care about is getting on the list, I think you're going to be in, in trouble already. I think that needs to actually, that thought needs to go away. <laughs> and I think what you need to do is, is focus on the business. And I think part of that is having a clear concept, right? So like one of actually, uh, one of the things I thought was fantastic about Singapore lockdown was uh, during during the lockdown, there were new bars that opened up during during CB and then they started out just on delivery. You know, like uh, my friends who run Sago House and Laut, they're two uh, bars that were born during uh, during uh, the lockdown here. They each have their own identity. They're very clear concepts, right? Um, and uh, they, I think lockdown in a way was a little bit of a saving grace because they had time to work through some things that maybe would have, they would have been slammed with if they had opened, you know, to the general public. But, but in addition to that, they had fairly, they had quite clear, strong identities, clear concepts. Um, they did the work 
which means that they had done the research, they had, um, uh, whether it's from, you know, decor, drinks program, food, you know, they thought about the food, the playlist, lighting, everything. I mean, these are the things. I think, for example, I think in many places, music and lighting is so underrated. I don't even know where to begin with that one. It's like, why can't you just spend a little bit? You don't even have to spend a lot, but just think about it, right? Music and lighting. It's because that sets the, the, the mood immediately. You'll know when you walk into a place and you hear the music, you know, is it gonna put you in the mood to party or is it gonna, you know, put you to sleep? And then uh, for me, I mean, I always like a bit of food with my drinks. So if you have a, a nice bar pro food program, I think that always helps enormously. I think that was one of the great things that came out of Native during lockdown is they had time to, to do R&D and get some food on the menu. That was one of the things I had said to them previously, you need to get some food on your menu because if someone wants to eat something, even just a snack, you have nothing to offer them. They'll leave and go somewhere else, right? Uh, and then finally, and I think really, 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 really the most important part for me is of course, it's the hospitality angle, the team. So the people I think who get it right are the people who make you feel like you're coming home whenever you go there. And that when you leave, you talk about it. And that you, when you leave, you tell your friends about your experience. If you can get people to do that, I think you have a good shot at being on if being on a list is, is your in your, which I hope it's not your main goal anyway. But for example, if you look at 28 Hong Kong Street, when they opened, there was zero marketing, zero social media, no PR. They didn't employ anyone to do any of that. And in fact, in fact, they didn't allow photos to be taken for the first many years of their existence, right? So the motto there was what goes on in 28 stays in 28. But the word of mouth around that place was incredible. Yeah, I mean, they've only, I think, just in the last six months got a, an Instagram account after almost 10 years, right? So, so I think if you can get people to talk about you, if, and that comes from really delivering experience that people will remember. And, you know, it, it depends on the place. You could have a place where, you know, EO, uh, it could be more American style, sassy st uh, service, or you could have a place that's very, you know, Manhattan is super classy and professional, yet friendly and warm. Yeah. Or whatever. I mean, you know, everyone has their own style. You got to find your style and then you got to deliver it in a way that is memorable. So please, whoever's listening, please don't put on your business plan to be on the list of 50 best bars. I mean, I know a lot of people will want that, but I really, I worry about it if that's your main goal. Yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Vivian, thank you so much for your You're insight. <clears throat> it's been, uh, no, it's been great. And uh, I, I do fully agree with, with a lot you yeah. just said. So thank you. Thank you once again for coming well, on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's um, an honor. I'm yeah. looking forward to, mm -hmm. no worries. I look forward to visit you in, in Singapore. Yes. Well, soon. I hope also I can get over there. I'm, I'm, I'm just dying to get over to, to Thailand mm. as well. So as soon as we can. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. In the meantime, stay safe. Thank you very much. Talk soon.